Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 244. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Moon Knight episode 2, Summon the Suit, directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, written by Michael Castelline, and this series was created for television by Jeremy Slater, and Moon Knight is, of course, a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our show, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is a podcast that is available for premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or through Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel, or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can find it there and subscribe so you can hear us talk about extra MCU news, spoiler reviews for things outside the MCU, and lots of other fun stuff as well. So make sure you check that out and then follow us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to do so. And now, summon the podcast. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, Sean, to follow up on my last show, uh, you know, uh, feelings or whatever, good things happen for those who wait. So <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very eager to get into this episode. Yes, I am very glad that your patience, as difficult as it was, uh, was ultimately rewarded. And uh, I also want to take uh, a little bit of time to uh, thank uh, one of our listeners, Leo, who was nice enough to say hello to me and share some kind words about the podcast at Avengers Campus this past week. So hello, Leo. Oh, nice. Thanks so much uh, for, for saying hi and for listening to the podcast. And thanks to all of you. Hello to all of you who are here listening to this podcast. Also got to meet Mr. Knight at Avengers Campus uh, this past week. That was a lot of fun. I'll probably have to throw a picture or something on Instagram. I'm very, very bad at that. Uh, also saw Moon Knight at like the Avengers headquarters doing like his whole cape twirl thing. Uh, that was a lot of fun at Avengers Campus. So yeah, it's fun to be able to be watching a Disney Plus show and then go into, granted, it's a luxury of living in Southern California and being a magic key holder is that you get to go to the parks and see these characters that you're just seeing make their debuts on uh, Disney Plus, which is, or on the big screen in theaters, which is a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of theaters, Paul, did you get your tickets yet for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Uh, no, I mainly because me and Chris get together for that and we haven't really figured out our, what we're going to be doing. And I don't know, it's, it's always, we're, we always end up finding what we, what we need when we need it. So I don't really need to jump on it quite yet, but I heard it, it's been selling out other places. So we, I haven't looked yet, but I'm kind of a little bit ner more nervous now than I was anticipating. I didn't expect it to be this, uh, this, this much of a success outright as far as pre-sale tickets. Yeah, I think it depends on your how much of a stickler you are for your theater preferences. Like, I certainly love specific IMAX theaters here in L.A. or Dolby Cinema here in L.A. And everybody loves those theaters out here in L.A., so they're the first ones to go. So uh, I had to get after it to get my tickets, although it was a bit of a struggle, as it always is for online ticket retailers. They just can't handle the MCU. Definitely could not handle Spider-Man No Way Home and weren't really faring much better for uh, for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So memo to all of them. They're going to have to upgrade the servers or whatever they have to do to make sure they can handle the demand for uh, these Marvel movies because it is still massive. But let's go ahead and let's talk about this second episode 
of Moon Knight, since we have to reward patience, and our audience has certainly been patient enough waiting a few minutes for me to actually start this episode in some uh, <laughs> some in earnest here and get into the nitty gritty. But I, I did say ahead of time uh, last week that uh, I'm pretty sure I teased it last week that this was my favorite episode of the first four that we got to see um, via screeners and, and stuff like that that Disney was willing to put out. And I think it's probably not too hard to guess why it was my favorite. It has a healthy dose of Moon Knight in it, if you also count the Mr. Knight screen time that is a part of it. Although I do have some thoughts on Mr. Knight, and I was very curious as to what Paul's thoughts on Mr. Knight would be, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's not where we're at in the episode. Mm -hmm. The episode picks up where we left off with this whole it was all a dream or was it sort of thing because we see the ending of the last episode. Moon Knight is beating up a jackal as uh, Stephen Grant ends up calling it. And um, we see that Mark saved Stephen. Moon Knight beats up the monster. Stephen wakes up, but it's that routine he's all too familiar with, but he also knows that there's no real safety in waking up and seeing that he is still chained to his bed. The sand is undisturbed and all of that stuff because he's been through that before and known that he's missed days of his life. So he knows it wasn't a dream, even though he wakes up as if it was. And he heads to work where he sees that he was caught on camera running from nothing because the jackal did not appear on camera. And Stephen is promptly fired for the damage done to the restroom for which he, of course, is blamed because nobody can see the big scary monster that was chasing him. I really liked the moment in this sequence, Paul. My favorite piece of this was when Steven is reviewing the camera footage with the security guard who keeps calling him Scotty, mm -hmm. and he sees that shot of Mark Spector just looking up and directly into the camera. I just love that Steven recognized right away, like, that's not me. I mean, we can watch as an audience say that's totally Oscar Isaac, but they did a good job performance-wise on both ends of it, Oscar Isaac did, of uh, really taking on that different identity. And I also like the way that it's set up that the jackals are not visible to anyone else, although we do get mm -hmm. to see that they are physically there, not just in his head, based on how things operate with another jackal that we'll see later in this episode. But also other things to kind of pick up on, like... The fact that when he went and met with HR that they recommended a mental health facility, which certainly feeds into Moon Knight mythology for those who are more a little more familiar with it from the comic books. Um, but then the guy trying to tell him, oh, yeah, they're wonderful. Uh, you're not alone. There's just some of these things that were kind of uh, interesting. And I liked Stephen Grant's response to, uh, response to that. Like, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? That he's not alone. Um, and then it was just ice cold because not only do they fire the guy, and we also find out he has to pay for the damage in installments, they even took his name tag when they were asking if he still had any company uh, property. And the name tag doesn't even really have a company logo on it. It's just Steven with a V, and he couldn't even keep that. But I like this opening sequence. I thought it was funny, and I also just like some of, some of the mythology building that was going on there. You know, one thing I loved about this opening was all what you said, but it also kind of sets up that idea, this for a split second, Sean, even though we know it, well, <clears throat> we think we know the jackals are there. Sure. But when, you know, you because they keep, you know, they keep setting up with Steven, like, oh, man, mate, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. It's going to blow your mind, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, what, okay, what are they setting up here, obviously? And then, you know, you don't see it. I'm like, oh, man, are they going to, right. are they going this route of, is it all in his head right away? Is this something that they're going... Because that is something that, in the comic books, I think brilliantly done 
to be honest, especially, um, you know, obviously in the, the, the Charlie Houston run and in the uh, Jeff Lemire run, uh, there's great moments of that where you really are challenged by the fact that are these things real? Um, and all oh, is Conchu real? And even in the original uh, Doug mentioned mm-hmm. Wilson Kevich run, which I just re- reread over the weekend, there's definitely elements there of like, is Conchu really real and things like that. So I immediately was like, whoa, they're going there already. And, and, and I, I was, I kind of was buying into it. I'm like, I'm like, is that what's going on? I didn't, I doubted myself until later on in the episode, but I started thinking like, they're going there. That's crazy. Well, even what happens so, later on no, in the you episode, know. you could say that if Steven's mind or Mark's mind, whoever's mind this is, if it's playing tricks on itself, that it keeps adding new things to it and making the trick more elaborate because in order to maintain this thing. So if Steven realizes mm-hmm nobody can see the jackal and nobody's really reacting to it. And in the security footage, you're not really seeing anything react. Uh, nothing in the physical space is reacting to the presence of mm-hmm. the jackal. So it's not visible. Nothing is physically reacting to it. And of course, where most of the damage is done just so happens to be in the restroom where presumably the museum does not have any cameras. So there's no footage of that. And so I, I think exactly. that's where... Uh, but you could say later on in the episode when people and objects are impacted and uh, physically touched by the jackal, even though they can't necessarily see it, you could say that's just an escalation, right, in the mind of mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Grant or Mark Spector and even what other people react to, um, you know, some wind flaring up because Khonshu is mad, uh, as we see later on in the episode. So <laughs> there are definitely some layers to this, and that's always something to keep in mind and think about when you're dealing with Moon Knight is that question has kind of remained part of the mythology of whether or not these adventures are really happening. And and by the way, that doesn't even have to be a question uh, with a binary yes or no answer. Some things may be real and other things mm-hmm. may not. It may be a combination of imagined events and actual events that are happening for this character yeah. and this uh, various set of identities. But what we also uh, see happen in this episode is Crawley continuing to play that vital role uh, where Stephen explains to him and therefore the audience what's about to happen in the rest of the episode. Uh, so uh, Crawley is great at listening to Stephen's exposition where he lays it all out, what's just happened to him, but then also what is going to happen next where he realizes that he found stuff in his flat And the next thing he needs to go try and do is there was a key to a storage locker. So he needs to go find that. And he goes to multiple branches. We only see him at the last one that he needs to go to because that just so happens to be the one that he's already been to. But as Mark, as the uh, guy working the front counter says, he never forgets a face. And uh, Mark and Steven obviously share the same face. So we get to the storage locker. And on the storage locker, you probably all noticed a QR code. And if you checked that QR code, it's actually the same one or has the same link as the QR code that was in the museum last week. I know we didn't talk about it in the spoiler review. I didn't even realize it was there or I actually attempted to scan it until after we recorded the podcast and I saw people talking about it. And uh, But the same QR code was there this week, so I tested it out. And it is a link, by the way, to a free comic book, Werewolf by Night 33, with a first appearance of Moon Knight. Nice. I think that's a really awesome, uh, really awesome Easter egg to include in stuff like yeah. this. Is, you know, to, I don't, 
I don't think most viewers uh, take it upon themselves to scan QR codes, but with the way social media being what it is and people share things, they see it. And if it inspires you to read a comic book, great. And hopefully that comic book inspires you to read another comic book and so on and so forth. But I thought that was a really cool idea. And um, when Steven goes inside the storage locker, he sees that there is a cot there. Uh, he sees that then he, there's a trunk that he opens up, finds a gun, finds a passport, finds some cash, find, and then he finds the scarab. And so Steven says, so it was real. Because remember the last time he saw the scarab, that was in a time mm. that he thought was a dream and then realized he had been asleep, air quotes, for, uh, for three days. So now he's saying it's real, it's totally real, and we get to see that the... Scarab is levitating in the air, starting to act a bit like a compass, which we will later find out is leading to Amit's tomb. Uh, Mark is the one who then shows up in the reflection. He's the man in the mirror, breaks it down for Steven, sort of, of exactly what's going on. Um, And Mark's whole suggestion to Steven is, this is all too much for you. Just see that cot back there, lay down, take a nap, and I'll come back for you when this is all over. Uh, That's not good enough for Steven, who wants to know what's going on. And I really love the breakdown of this, of Mark having to explain very seriously and matter-of-factly what he is, which is also a way of explaining to the audience what exactly this mythology is after only having seen the previous episode, and now you're very early in the second episode. I'm the avatar of Khonshu, protect the vulnerable. He's there to deliver Khonshu's justice. And of course, Steven's reaction to this um, is perfect because he just thinks it's absolutely ridiculous. And then he's ready to get himself committed rather than do any harm to anybody else or any other property like we saw at the museum. But uh, there are a lot of things I liked about this sequence. Again, I, I liked how matter-of-factly uh, Mark Spector was delivering the, the bullet points of this mythology. But I also really liked that Oscar Isaac got to call himself handsome in the scene because Stephen calls Mark handsome. That was great and accurate. Um, and then really this this whole sequence was great. And then especially when it got outside and it went into the scary kind of strobing effect, very similar to the elevator sequence that we saw last week, but I thought this was an even cooler version of it. And those little Kanchu reveals as he gets closer and closer, all the way to the point where Steven gets his first good look at Kanchu. Uh, I thought all of that was awesome. And also, as uh, Steven was running from Kanchu, you see like other locks on other storage lockers, like some like other things are trying to get out, like other things are shaking on the doors, almost like when you're in the Haunted Mansion or something like that. Um, all of that stuff was I thought was really, really cool and well done. And I'm I'm just so on board with the the legit scary horror style sequences that they have brought to this series. I'm really enjoying them. All right, really quickly before I go into all that, the Crowley thing, I want to mention one little snippet here that I'm, I'm, I think is a possibility. And I, again, I don't know how if I'm really far off on this is one of the things that the Crowley character is based off of is that he's an informant for Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's a guy performing and he hears all these conversations right. and they're establishing that he, he you know, he you know, is, is talking to him and there's, there's, a, there's maybe a relationship potentially building, right. maybe. He could be that person later on for Moon Knight. He could. Still. He could. So I thought well, that was... it's also important. I think yeah. that he gives a reaction that Stephen doesn't see. So when Stephen hugs him and Stephen's exactly. not looking, yes. we as an audience see something that Stephen doesn't. So as we're talking about what's real and and all of that stuff, which uh, I'm in no position to start really feeling comfortable about any definitive answer yeah. on that because hello, it's Moon Knight. But 
that was a th- those yeah. are the types of things I look at is how uh, how do other characters interact with the main character who may not necessarily be a reliable narrator within their own story. And that is a reaction that we as an audience see like Crawley breaking character, you know, just just moving his eyes mm-hmm. um, as Steven is kind of hugging him or whatever. Like, And Steven doesn't see that. That's just for us. That's not for Steven. So that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I think there's potential there. I'm just going to throw out there. I'm not saying he shows that it will happen to the season potential or whatever the hell they do with Moon Knight afterwards. But I just feel like there's potential there to still use him for that role potentially with what that what they set up. Um, with the whole locker thing, um, I, I love the I, I just love the whole setup of it, and I thought this to me is where things started really clicking for me on the show. Um, don't get me wrong, I liked the last show, and I had some you know some 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 concerns, and then when it's I did like how it started off questioning that idea like i mentioned before I'm, okay i'm sorry jumping more on board with that I'm like, okay we're, we're getting more of those moon knight themes that i'm really into and then when it kick, kicks into this gear even though this is very much not necessarily uh, and i'll miss this a lot during this episode this is not a one-for-one adaptation of the character on many different levels minus what we'll, we'll talk about the big stuff we'll talk about in a minute but to me there it's very much a spiritual in in the realm of the spiritual, like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's in the spirit of the character, in me, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So it's just, it's a spiritual adaptation, and I feel if that's what we're gonna do with the series, I, I'm cool with it. And I think this is a great example because, you know, in the comics and the ones I remember, I've read, you know, I've read them quite a bit, you know, and, and rereading them now, trying to get even re familiar with them. He doesn't necessarily have like. Steven versus Mark or Jake versus, you know, whatever. It's right. very much like it's Steven, you know, in fact, in the, in the mention in Kevich runs, I forgot was it's it's Steven Grant trying to ditch the Mark Spector, you know, personality, which actually almost falls more in line with this than I think some of the other material we've gotten recently. And that's usually fascinating. And I think, and this scene particularly uh, in particular, it's really cool because we're seeing that Steven exists for a reason. And, you know, I got a lot of shades of Peter David's Hulk in this episode, uh, mm. specifically, Sean, which we'll definitely talk about in a little bit, too. But that whole idea of creating these characters of um, or these different personalities of yourself in, you know, for, you know, for traumatic reasons or not even traumatic reasons, but like in, in, the, in the comic books, he becomes Stephen Grant to forget Mark Spector. And to me, and again, I've only seen two episodes. That's what it feels like we're getting here. Is that, you know, and Mark at this point is like the the defense mechanism when things go to hell. And that's what immediately I started picking up on. And I really started digging because we don't really get the one for one, like two guys fighting, you know, personality wise right. in the comic. But getting it in this here, this is great. And I mean, again, you want to set up your actor and give him the best, you know, you know the best material to show off and, and, and engage with the audience. And I feel like this is this is the stuff like when I talk about spiritual adaptation and a spiritual successor to this or whatever. This is why, because you want to give an audience to connect to the character and to the property. And I feel this gives you're only playing to Oscar Isaac's strength. So you brought up the whole idea of, you know, uh, when when Steven sells Mark, you you're you know, I don't care if you're handsome, you know. It, it's funny, but it's so it, it, I hate to say it, but like it's almost true because even though like yes, like 
you know, he's a tremendously well, handsome person, show, yeah. as, you know, as well, Oscar it just, Isaac. It really speaks but, to, it's funny, but it speaks to the difference in the personalities, right? In that... Exactly, yeah. Steven can look at himself, and, and I'm sorry, like, Mark Spector does not look that different than Stephen Grant. They're not really doing that. They're, it's not like Oscar Isaac has a completely different haircut or completely different makeup or anything like that. Body language. To be, yeah, it's it's body language, it's facial expressions, but Stephen Grant really mm. isn't any less handsome than Mark Spector. But Stephen Grant can look at the man in the mirror and say he's handsome, but Stephen Grant would never have the confidence to say that he himself exactly. is handsome. And I, I think there's actually another... I don't know which personality we will find out came first in, in this version of events, but I I do mm. kind of see how Stephen Grant could have been a creation of Mark Spector. Um, and I have some thoughts mm -hmm. on that, but the character we need to introduce in order to cover that is the one we meet next, which is Layla, played by May uh, Kalamawi. And uh, she shows up. It's not a convenient coincidence. She was, uh, I mean, it's a little convenient that she's right there as he stumbles outside of the storage locker facility. Right. But she was tracking the phone. That's how she found him. And uh, figured that he wanted to be tracked. And that's why he left the phone on. Because Stephen Grant doesn't think about things like people being able to track phones. Mark Spector obviously does. And uh, Layla thinks that She's talking to Mark. She is Mark's wife, and she does not know about or buy the Stephen Grant identity. So however long this has been going on, this is not something that Mark Spector ever looped Layla in about and maybe never had to until all of a sudden this situation uh, more recently became far more difficult for Mark or Stephen or both of them to control than it had been in the past. And so uh, Steven says, we got to get back to my flat because that's where he'll be able to explain everything, including the accent that he can't drop because as far as he's concerned, it's natural, it's his, uh, even if Layla is growing tired of it. And um, I like when we get that, I, when they get to Steven's place, I, I like that shot of Layla looking in the fish tank and uh, that's when the Mark as the man in the mirror gets to look at his wife probably for the first time in a while. Um, and I also there is a very solid out of your depth pun as we're having dialogue delivered while they're staring at a goldfish tank. Um, and Layla also, when we're looking at these little nuggets, Paul, remember how we were clocking, as I think just mm -hmm. about everybody was, that um, Stephen was not talking to mom. Stephen was leaving voicemails for mom. And there's a moment there for Stephen when Layla talks about when Stephen is talking about his mom and Layla says, oh, so you guys are talking again or something to that effect. And Stephen registers that there is a moment there where Stephen realizes, well, I guess technically not, because if he's thinking about his own relationship with his own mom, they haven't actually spoken. So that still remains uh, a thread that's just dangling out there. And we'll have to see where uh, where that goes. But mm -hmm. When we're talking about these different personalities, Paul, and where some of this comes from, do you notice how much Stephen and Layla have in common? And, you know, they have the mm -hmm. same they have the same favorite poetry or, or poet. And um, they have they seem to have a lot of similar interests. And it just kind of seems like the Stephen Grant identity might not just be inspired by Mark Spector, might be inspired by Mark Spector's wife, Layla, because it seems like if Mark Spector loves her so much and if he is somehow subconsciously created this other identity 
Um, and I don't know the origin of the other identity or, or how it all happened and, and all the specifics yet in this version of events with uh, respect to the dissociative identity disorder. But if there's some part of Stephen that kind of represents maybe the type of husband who Mark Spector wanted to be for his wife, you know, there I'm sure there's obviously they fell in love, got married. So there must be a lot of things about their relationship that worked out. But there's also some parts about Stephen that represent Maybe some things that Mark Spector always loved about his wife, and that's why Stephen and uh, Layla have so much in common. It also creates this now sort of the, the the early phases possibly of a love triangle where you see these moments where they're connecting, like when Layla points out that Mark sent her divorce, uh, divorce papers and Stephen's like, I would never divorce you, um, and how he was nervous when they were on the little Vespa to put his hands around her waist and was try, try, holding on to her like a Victorian duchess, as she said, just trying to grab her by the shoulders, which is not going to be a great way to hold on. Um, and and even to the point where Stephen wants to tell her everything up until the point that Mark warns him that he can't, because then that will put uh, Layla in danger and, and Stephen will get her killed. Kind of too late because he's already piqued her interest and then she grabs the the scarab for herself. But I was definitely registering all of those things that Stephen and and Layla had in common. And I I do wonder if some of that has to do with uh, some of Mark's favorite uh, favorite things about his wife. Man, I am so conflicted on the Layla character. Not that I don't like her, but my my opinion of her Um, as far as like what her motivations are, if she truly is Mark Spector's wife. I don't know, man. Like I am, I am not convinced one way or another at this point. Um, because there's something about her that just is not, there, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it as far as like, I think she's up to something. Um, and maybe I'm totally off and maybe it's because I don't trust her because her name's not Marlene or something. I don't know. I, I can't, I can't put it on. I can't put my finger on it, but I feel, I get like Dr. Emmett vibes from the Lemire run. For some reason, I just I'm feeling it. I'm like, there's something here that isn't adding up for me either. It feels like Mark's being manipulated somewhere through everything, because that's kind of what I feel sure, is yeah. going to be the theme of 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 the entire show. Is that you're going to have the tragedy of someone like Mark Spector, who's done some probably some awful things in his life, and that he creates and that people are manipulating him. Either you have Conchu manipulating him, or other people manipulating him because he is with Conchu. It's like he's getting like multiple. He's getting it on both ends, possibly. That's what it feels like, and that's what it feels kind of like in the comic books too. Not necessarily all completely, but there's there's elements there, and I feel like there's something to that. And I, again, I, I, if I'm wrong, I, I, I'm not like beholden to this idea, but it, I I like the Layla character because I don't know about her yet. At least for me, I'm not sure if you you kind of bought it all in yourself, but it's for a little me, bit like yeah. I. I it's a little Go bit ahead. harder for me because after I watched this episode, I got to watch two more after it. So um, I am after definitely it. compartmentalizing. And, you know, so as far as where things go from here, it, it's a no comment. And that's not like a no comment because big things might be happening and there might be a big reveal with respect to Layla. It's not about that at all. Um, I'm not saying either way. But I, I think when I'm just trying to think about where I was watching this for the first time, you know, there was a certain... I don't know, when you have these different things that are different kind of conspiracies and, you know, archaeological espionage that seems to be going on with some of this stuff that it's hard mm-hmm. to, you, you you can't just necessarily trust every character that's put in front of you. And when right. you know that you have a character like Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant Moon Knight who 
can't always, you know, collectively or individually trust themselves as these different identities. You know, you could have somebody who says, you know, Mark Spector could have convinced himself that Layla is his wife and, and really it's just somebody he likes. And then he, you know, it, and this is all kind of a representation of that. And and Mark Spector wasn't good enough. So now Stephen Grant is the one that might be having the beginning of, uh, you know, be developing feelings for her and, and have more in common with her than maybe Mark did. Although I still think that's that's a lot of legwork to have characters, you know, reacting so much. And, and it seems like Layla really mm-hmm. does have some uh, point of connection there. And and um, it, and it really does seem like Mark genuinely loves her and they have a history and they have a whatever. Granted, this could all be in somebody's head because that's, you know, part and parcel with the comic book sometimes. But even then, the comic book still always end up finding some way to lean back towards like this was real or this is probably real or, or whatever it may be. And as I said, those things, the answer to that isn't always, you know, some binary uh, black and white, yes or no type of thing. But I did like this sequence. So when we're, and we know that Stephen Grant and Mark Spector, like they are, they are two identities coming from the same body. And there might be some points that they have in common. And, and clearly an attraction to Layla is one of those things. But they could be, it could be different things that appeal to them, right? Like Layla talks about the adventures mm-hmm. that they had. Like when she finds the scarab, she is initially upset with him, like thinking that he's just trying to steal the glory of this find, even though that was something that they had been searching for together. So clearly there is, if we say that Mark is the expert mercenary and the adventurer and all of those things, I don't, and maybe Layla's a mercenary too. We don't know that part yet, but if we say that mm-hmm. uh, you know Mark is the adventurer, then and Layla is as well, and there are signs of that in this, in this episode. We do see her whoop some ass later in this episode. So if if they have that part of it in common, but maybe there were other sides of the relationship, like her interest in poetry for in French poetry or whatever, for example, and that's the part that maybe Stephen connects with. Like these different dimensions to Layla's personality are more or less appealing to a given identity for Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant. So there's a lot that's going on there uh, that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I do like this character, but there's certainly, I, I think, a, a question mark there. Is there are question marks all over uh, this show. But then the cops sure. show up, cops in air quotes, uh, although I do think they might be cops, but they're just part of Arthur Harrow's clan, as we'll find out, because they take Stephen in, but they don't take him to the police station. Meanwhile, we do see that Layla was able to get away with the scarab. And this sets up another meeting between Stephen Grant and Arthur Harrow. Ethan Hawke uh, is back. So Stephen Grant finds himself surrounded by Harrow and his followers in a place that um, where Harrow and Amit's advanced judgment has apparently cleaned up. Used to be the roughest neighborhood in the city, highest crime rate. Now everything's okay. They've got beautiful tomatoes. It's fine. And uh, so um, I, I really liked this whole sequence. Like I, I found Ethan Hawke to be eerily charming throughout this whole sequence. Yes. And... Um, all of that I, I thought was just great. His performance was just so understated and and charismatic, and um, and, and there's a lot that gets revealed in this conversation. And, and I just love how generous he seems, and yet there is this undercurrent of threat that takes over by the end of this whole sequence. But there's a lot of things that I like. I like Kanchu losing his mind, like yelling at uh, Stephen Grant, kill him, break his windpipe, you know, talking about Arthur Harrow. <laughs> and, you know, Arthur Harrow talking about, well, this is all he can do. Well, like I was talking about earlier, when the wind kicks up and everything, Khonshu's mad, but Harrow's not afraid of it. 
And even Harrow later on mocks him, like, I'll bet he's saying, I am real justice, right after, of course, Kanchu said, I am real justice. And uh, he's just, <laughs> Harrow is so entertaining in this as a character, and Kanchu as well, by the way, um, because Harrow is just so polite, seems so genuine and kind, minus, you know, the murder and stuff like that. Um, but I also love that Stephen has the perfect question to the minority report logic of the whole advanced judgment, judging people before they do the bad thing, because you know, Amit knows that they're going to do the bad thing. And Steven's talking about, well, a thought can't be evil. Can it? What about kids? And Arthur Harrow never actually says he wouldn't kill kids because he totally would, uh, based on the way all of this logic is, uh, is playing out. And Harrow wants the, uh, the scarab. And that, as I said, that undercurrent of, uh, of, the threat that's kind of an undercurrent there becomes comes to the forefront um, as all the followers kind of stand up when it's time to talk about the scarab. But Stephen doesn't have it, um, and he won't give it up. But Layla has it, and now she's there, and, and the chase will be on in just a moment. But they're really planting... I think they're doing a good job, though, of having all these different things happening that are planting various seeds that will come back into uh, this story inevitably. Like the history that Harrow has with Khonshu when... Harrow's talking about how before you, Stephen Grant, or Mark Spector, or whoever, before you, I was Khonshu's avatar. And that gives Harrow a very unique perspective on Khonshu. But then also, when we talk about characters who we can rely on and trust, Harrow casts doubt on that for Khonshu, because he's talking about how Khonshu was banished by his fellow gods. They don't take him seriously. He throws temper tantrums like a two-year-old. And frankly, some of what Khonshu does seems like a two-year-old temper tantrum based on the way that he uh, responds to some things in this. And also whether or not Kanshu can be trusted. Like, I've been where you are, and I was told a bunch of times that I was about to go on the last mission, but there's always just one more. And all of that stuff I, I thought was uh, great. I mean, it was a, I thought it was a really smart way of delivering just tons and tons of exposition, but doing it in a way where it really felt like it was it was pushing the story forward and developing the characters and allowing you to get to know the characters without just coming across as a static info dump. Man, Ethan Hawke is just so good. Like, I mean, I loved him in the last episode, and I, I love him as an actor. Holy crap. Like, this episode, even more so, just shows you how good of an actor he is. And I think this, the charming quality that he portrays uh, Harlow as is just it, you can't like it can't be under you know overstated or understated you know it, it really is it's so it, it really is a, uh, something that i think is often not lacking in villains because i i think a lot of criticism are for marvel villains in general like they're not they're all, always charismatic you got loki and then for a while you had kingpin and there's better and to me i always thought that was a you know I always thought the villain aspect was a overblown thing for people to like, you know, is oh, no villains, you know, whatever, you know. But I feel like Ethan Hawke is a great example of just you. He just utilizes, you know, everything to his advantage. And I don't think Harlow is like this most amazing character, but I think Ethan Hawke portrays him so well that he is a compelling character mm -hmm. because of Ethan Hawke. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's bad writing. It's just you know, it's it's a bad guy, you know, whatever. And even though I like the idea of an avatar before um, Moon Knight, which again I don't know if I've read, I don't think that's that might be a newer concept potentially. Um, I don't I remember Jeff Lemire's run. It dealt with that idea of like the other avatars and everything like that. But 
I don't remember like an avatar before, you know, Stephen Grant or Mark Spector and then, you know, whatever. So this is all very interesting ideas. And I like that. I like that concept that like there's, you know, cons you can take away and give it to somebody else or whatever. Um, that's all really fascinating. And that was really cool to see them work, you know, work that all through together. I do. I do also have to say that I'm more um, I, I'm totally okay with the country voice now. I think there's a different dialogue, different um, situation. It made me kind of buy into the characters um, or the actors portraying him way, way, way more. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally cool with the voice now. It, it works for the character. So I'm good with that. But yeah, I, I felt like this is a great scene. Um, and I, also idea of, um, again, using, if you, if you put Mark Spector in that scene, Sean, it, it's a little more intense. It's a little more like, you know, stereotypical. Right. Oh, we're, we're like, I'm gonna destroy you and blah blah. I don't really trust <laughs> yeah. you, Harlow. Blah blah. But, but with Stephen Grant, it, it it's a little more easygoing. You kind of you can understand why people follow, you know, this guy. And again, I, I feel like the the difference making Stephen Grant this different character, like a completely different person. You know, that's that, you know does not know about Mark Spector is kind of done on purpose to kind of have these moments and, and use them in different situations, interchangeable, you know, or not interchangeable, but change them out when you need to kind of get certain points across. It's pretty genius to be honest. And I, I actually do. That's why I love the direction they've taken the character that it's not one for one from the comics, but because of moments like this, it makes things more interesting and more compelling from a show standpoint. So, um, yeah, I loved all of this. This is great stuff. And I, and I, I loved this, you know, Conchu yelling at, you know, Stephen Grant, break his windpipe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was great. Yeah. Kill him, um, break his windpipe. Just I, cracked I, me is, up. I was, uh, yeah, yeah I, was well, great. and I love that. I, I think the, the point you made about Stephen Grant being the right person to be having this conversation instead of Mark Spector, I think that's really important because it helps that this conversation that Arthur Harrow gets to have, he gets to state his case to somebody who's not devoted to Conchu, somebody who's not right. already aligned with him, or at least doesn't think or know that he's aligned with him. Somebody who's even Stephen Grant, who we already know is like the ultimate fanboy of the Ennead and Egyptian gods and all of that stuff. He doesn't believe it's real. And so as he's just coming to terms with the fact that some of this stuff might be real, and even though he's questioning his own sanity at this point in time, and it's starting to, although there's more and more evidence as he's seeing that, that this might actually be real, but he doesn't have this devotion to Khonshu, and he's almost a little bit more of an objective audience to Arthur Harrow. Yes. But that also makes his his questioning of Arthur Harrow is that much more authentic because Stephen is not coming at it when he questions the methods of Amit and the justice that uh, that Harrow wants to help Amit uh, bring out by going to her, getting the scarab, going to her tomb, unleashing Amit, all of that stuff. He's not coming at it from Khonshu's perspective. He's not necessarily representing Khonshu or any of the gods or anything. This is just Stephen Grant looking at this and saying, this isn't right. Like, what you're doing isn't right and he boils it down to that simple question that simple but very important question of okay well if you think that um you know if you're killing somebody before they've done something wrong aren't you killing an innocent person and brings it all the way down to uh brings it all the way down to children and it really forces arthur harrow to try and defend this 
And then he talks about how the cure for a disease is sometimes, you know, the difference between the disease and the cure is sometimes just dosage and talking about disease limbs and amputation and all of that. And Stephen Grant just calls BS on that, too. Like, you can't compare children to uh, disease limbs. And it really puts Harrow in a place where he can't really, he can't justify where he's coming from. But he's just going to do it anyway, because at this point, this is what he believes. But I think all of that was, uh, you know, that conversation got to be even better because it was Stephen Grant who was having it. But it's important to note that Mark Spector still hears all of that. And we know that Mark Spector is dealing with some of his own doubts about Khonshu. Like he owes Khonshu his life, but at the same time, he's now hearing that he needs to do just one more mission. And now here's a guy saying, I've been where you are before. Cause even Harrow's saying, I want to talk to Mark and Mark doesn't get to take over, but I'm sure Mark gets to listen and he gets to hear Harrow say that, you know, this is a familiar thing, a familiar tactic from Khonshu. So you can't trust him when he tells you that it's just one more. So it, there's a lot that's going on there in the central conflict between our protagonist or protagonists and our antagonist, but then also within uh, the mind of Mark Spector and, of course, his relationship with Khonshu, with whatever exactly that may ultimately uh, prove to be. But uh, the chase is about to be on because, again, they're going after the Scarab and Layla is not going to give it up. So we see Harrow releases another jackal, which shows us most likely how the first one emerged last week because we never actually saw that. It was just there. And it emerges from the crocodile cane that has a tiny sliver of power from Amit. It was a gift for her first avatar. And now Harrow has it, unleashes another jackal. And as Stephen Grant and Layla are running away, we see that Layla can take care of herself because Stephen definitely isn't much good in a fight, but Layla is, uh, as we see. And then as they lock themselves in a room, Layla tells Stephen to summon the suit, but he can't. He doesn't even know what that means. He tries to explain it, but he still can't do it until he absolutely has to as he jumps out a window with that jackal in pursuit or falling out a window. And he wants a suit. He wants a suit. He wants a suit. And the one he gets is Mr. Knight. And he gets a full superhero landing that he can't hold on to. And then he just falls over, which I thought was terrific. Okay, Paul. Um, Mr. Knight. Uh, <laughs> yep. This was something that, uh, well, as I, I think I told you uh, off air, and then I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I think I had teased it a little bit on the podcast last week, but as soon as I saw the, the suit, I knew that you loved it. We already saw, like, a, we responded to images yeah. and, and posters and all that stuff of Mr. Knight and thought, okay, that suit is absolutely perfect. So where I was wondering about it, wondering how you were going to feel, because I knew how I felt, it was more of the characterization of Mr. Knight. So the look nailed it. Mm -hmm. But this is not Mr. Knight, at least not as maybe they've updated it in more recent Moon Knight that I haven't read. But this is certainly not the version of Mr. Knight that I was familiar with. Now, I want to give them mm -hmm. uh, I, want, I need to throw out some caveats here uh, because I need people to know that I'm, I'm thinking about all of these things when I'm having my own assessment of this anyway. The suit, as I said, perfect. This choice makes sense creatively, and I think what they did, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense because they had to fast forward, and I'll explain all the ways that they had to fast forward, why this made sense, but I really do miss the hard-edged, supernatural, noir detective version 
of Mr. Knight, because that's not what they present here, where he is kind of the dapper Moon Knight, a product of Stephen Grant's um, imagination. It makes sense in the context of this show, and I don't blame them for it. And I don't uh, I don't have a problem automatically whenever Marvel Studios uh, and the filmmakers that they hire, when they make certain changes as they adapt these things. And generally speaking, I, I find myself agreeing with a lot of their choices. This one, I agree with the choice, at least on principle, but there's a part of me that still is just missing the version of Mr. Knight that I know from that original you know, Warren Ellis run and everything like that. As I said, the hard-edged noir detective with the supernatural kind of slant to it. All of that stuff uh, I, I really loved in those books, so I was kind of hoping that would be the Mr. Knight. I just don't know how you get to it in this show. Um, and obviously, you know, a line like Psycho Colonel Sanders is, is very, very funny. So I'll, I'll still take oh, it. It's amazing. Yeah. I, when you were the person that was very curious of the direction, I was, I was, I, that obviously perked my ears being like, okay, what does that mean? And I, and for those who don't know, I don't, I avoid spoilers for everything. Even if Sean would tell me stuff, which he doesn't, I wouldn't want to know. I just, that's not my, that's not my bag. So, um, you know, as the day went on and I was just checking Twitter and whatnot, um, which by the way, for the most part, people are very respectful about spoilers on for Marvel for star Wars. Not so much. I feel like star Wars, anything goes that people just will just launch things, you know, whatever. But with, with Marvel, it seems like people are usually pretty good with the stuff. And I started seeing a lot of complaints from people who, like, who love moon Knight about this, this iteration or whatever. And to be honest, too, I already had my assumptions. I already assumed that Mr. Knight was probably going to be in line with Stephen Grant's character. It just kind of made sense considering sure. the way he looks and everything. And Stephen Grant's kind of proper, you know, English uh, gentleman uh, personality, it seems like. Um, you know, I but all that said, um, with with the original comic book character, of Mr. Knight and that and again, you know, I don't. I never took him as like that iteration was his own iteration, and the reason why I say that is because like when in the original Warren Ellis run, he also wore like different costumes. He right. wore like you know a very much a variation of the original costume, which is some blacky, um, you know, more black in it than you know whatever. Which I had the action figure of, which is fantastic too, by the way. Um, so I, I don't, but I know what you're saying, like because either way, since. You know, even in the original mentions in Kevish runs, it's there is a harder edge. It's not, but he's he's more in line with a daredevil than he is than, you know, than than this. You know, his current iterations. It really was, to in my opinion, Charlie Houston when he came in and and Doug and David Finch, they, inter, they really introduced this more violent take on the character, and it's kind of slowly evolved from there. So when 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 Warren Ellis started doing the Mister Knight stuff and and that and that definitely is a different side of of Moon Knight. Don't get me wrong. I want to make that very clear. Mm. As far as like violence, that's all more recent. And again, this is just my opinion. I and I don't yeah. I haven't reread the 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 Brian Wood and the um, Colin Bunn stuff that came after it because I frankly thought it was bad uh, when I first read it years ago. And I'm like, this is bad. And when the Lemire came on, it was amazing. Um, so all that said, I I love it. I thought it was great. And again, the reason why I say that is because 
like I said before, this is not a straight adaptation. And I think it makes sense for what they're doing. And they're setting up this idea. And I, I brought Peter David's Hulk. Um, for those who don't know, Peter David has an amazing Hulk run um, in, in the comic books. And, and me, and, me and Sean both love that run. Mm-hmm. And it really brings in that idea of Professor Hulk where he, mul- he merges uh, Bruce Banner or Doc Sam- with the help of Doc Samson and uh, Ringmaster. Oh, my God. I'm getting really into the weeds here. Um <laughs> They merge the Gray Hulk and the Green Hulk. These different personalities that are created by Bruce Banner yep. as um, you know self you know defensive mechanisms that he created in his head you know from his um, same thing as you know again the the uh, so associate or uh, uh, associate identity you know, disorder. You know, I'm terrible. Thank you. So when he merged those people together, you got Professor Hulk and that whole idea of the Gray Hulk represented this different iteration of Bruce Banner's life and the Gray Hulk represents a different part. Mm-hmm. I feel I, I bring it up with this with, with Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. I feel it's kind of the same thing. And I feel that like Mr. Knight and Moon Knight, the characters are vastly different and we might see different power levels there too. We see here, um, Stephen Grant, um, Mr. Knight's persona. He punches out the Jackal. He does, um, and he, he also basically. like he grips the and bends the metal of a bumper. I, I think he has a lot of the yes. same powers. Mister Knight has a lot of the same powers, if not possibly all of the same powers as Moon Knight. He just doesn't know how to wield them. He just doesn't have the same violent instincts, really, as as Mark Spector. And and I think for for me and, and why I bumped up against this a little bit as it's the difference between knowing why they're doing something and agreeing with it, but then also just having this other side of, "Ah, this guy was just really cool this way in the comic books, and I really enjoyed it. And that's all that it is. And it's not even so much about violence. It was the personality. It was Mr. Knight, like, walking in and walking down an alley at a crime scene, and, like, the detectives being like, oh, crap, who's this? And all of that stuff I I just liked, but this isn't really a detective story. There's not a scene here for Mr. Knight to kind of go into that mode and you're very right in that the the mr knight introduction in kind of the warren ellis run and and everything from there like it was it was more story based than character based and it wasn't necessarily Mm. mr knight has to be is a wildly different version of moon knight for a specific identity within mark specter or a different identity within mark specter like it wasn't tied to a specific identity within Mark Spector like Mr. Knight is here. So from that perspective, like from a character perspective, this is a stronger idea. I may not. I agree. I I may miss the net result because the net result was so cool in those comic books, or at least I thought it was. But I can still recognize that for this story, this was the right choice because there's no reason for Mr. Knight to show up in this story unless he's going to be tied to Stephen Grant. Like, where else right. is it coming from? So it, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And also, they are trying to... This is the reason I we get to have Mr. Knight in this series in the first six episodes of a Moon Knight show, or rather in episode two of a Moon Knight show, is because of this. This is the fast-forward button that they hit because this is what consolidates the story. By the time Mr. Knight shows up, there's already literally decades of Moon Knight stories. And here Mm -hmm. we're going in what, as far as we know, is the beginning, although we'll find out that Mark Spector has been up to this for for some time. He's not even sure how long. So um, the reason they did it makes all the sense in the world to me. 
And so while I, I may miss that detective guy, maybe one day Stephen Grant will take on that personality and, and start adopting some of that. I, or Mark Spector will take on the Moon Knight uh, costume at some point, and we uh, might yeah. get some of that. But the way this was introduced as a product of Stephen Grant and Stephen Grant's imagination, it makes total sense. It is character driven, so I, I can't fault it on on that. It does enhance the story in that moment, um, and I really, really enjoyed it. So, and, and look, there's a lot of stuff here that's happening that was just wildly entertaining. Like his whole thing, like you're in the wrong ends, mate. Like you're in my yard now, oh my float God, like a butterfly, boy. sting like a bee. My name's oh my Stephen God. with a V. That was great. <laughs> and uh, Oscar Isaac was just—he's a champ for uh, not a boxing champ. He is a comedy champ. For yes. uh, his willingness to go all in on that, I just I, I loved it. I also and, I also really loved that this was like an invisible monster fight, which definitely <laughs> saves some money on CG to have Mister Knight instead of superhero Moon Knight all the time, uh, and also fighting invisible monsters is a, a little less expensive, I'm sure, than fighting ones that are full CG. But it was cool to see, yeah, like Layla figuring out how to find the jackal and, and help uh, Stephen Grant fight it a little bit, or Mister Knight fight it. Yeah, and, and all this stuff was great, and I I, I loved. Everything. I, it all makes sense. I just, I, it was really strange to me. People really taking like, you know, who again, I'm not trying to talk mess or anything, but it was just interesting to me from people being like, people don't understand, you know, why, you know, people are, wonder why we're upset. You know, we, we love the comics. And I'm like, guys, it's not like Mr. It's not like you're not getting the Moon Knight you want because he shows up, you know, I mean, it, that's the thing that was weird to me. It's like, it's, I don't think that that. For, and again, not not you at all, Sean. But like other people, like really taking like offense to like the, what there's this direction of the of that of a costume version of of the character. I'm like, guys, I mean, this is not exactly a su super huge departure because you're still getting that that, that character yeah. shows up later on. It's I mean, like obviously, I I can understand where they're coming from, but uh, I I can understand each side of this where. I like the reasons why they did it, and I even like what we have here. I just also like yeah. this other version that's in the comic book that maybe we won't necessarily get. I do, but but I I, I, do I, I don't. I do. I'll never fault them for making character-driven decisions because I think that's going to lead you to the right, right place more often than anything else. Yeah, and I and I want to say this too, and I think to your point that you wonder if he'll he'll get to that that, that ever 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 to that idea of you know walking down this you know in the, in the crime alley or in the, in the crime uh, scene and, and and everyone's like well who the hell are you you know i think there's a point where we could see because i think in the end the end game is going to be no pun intended uh, no pun intended here i do think the end game is going to be a merging of the characters like there's going to be at least an acceptance of Mark Spector and, and Stephen Grant needing to be around for different situations, Sean, maybe I'll, I'll, and I think the Moon Knight character could almost be combined like the Peter David professor Hulk idea. There's going to be some kind of, you know, switch around from, cause I think there's right. gonna be different power levels. And again, I don't, I've seen this episode a couple times now. And I don't know the strength level of the regular Moon Knight compared to, to Mr. Knight. I'm wondering if, this might if if Mr. Knight might be a physically stronger character than the other Moon Knight version, and that to me would be very interesting because that would make make even more reason to have two different versions of the care of this uh, Moon Knight character because if you need a stealth ninja, you know, vigilante character, you know, that Moon Knight makes sense. You know, we're having like the more traditional Moon Knight, but if you need someone who's going for like a more powerhouse, power-based character, and again, I don't know if I'm right here, but if Mister Knight's a stronger, like, but you know, more powerful version, you'll want to be, be in that persona. So I, it's just, 
I'm just curious how they're going to treat that. I get, I have no idea how I might be yeah. really far off here. I don't yeah. know. So far, there's nothing I can really tell yet anyway, in as far as a difference in power levels between Moon Knight and Mr. Knight. But if we think about Moon Knight having, or Mr. Knight, when you summon the suit, whichever suit you get, if that enhances, I think it enhances what you have. And obviously, Mark Spector has skills with respect to fighting and other violent things like he has skills that Stephen grant doesn't have or doesn't know he has and and can't access them like mark specter obviously can because for Stephen grant this is not him you know what mark specter does is not him and that includes the physical stuff and i think that's where you know Stephen grant can hold his own for a little bit but i i also thought that was a really strong moment because you've had Stephen grant rejecting the idea Mm -hmm. of giving Mark Spector control. And if you go back to the very first episode, the end of that first episode, Stephen Grant gives up control to save himself. In this episode, he is not willing to give up control to save himself. But how does Mark talk him into it? Look at these people. Someone's going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So you need to give me control. And that is when, you know, Stephen relents and Mark Spector gets to take over and become Moon Knight and summon his version of. Uh, of the mm-hmm. suit. Also, by the way, I don't know if any if everybody noticed, but there is a GRC logo, the Global Repatriation Council, uh, on the bus right there uh, where that fight is happening. So if you're wondering where we're at in uh, the MCU timeline, we are definitely post-blip, uh, as we remember the GRC from, uh, of course, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So uh, all of that stuff uh, I thought was really cool. I also liked the tagline that the GRC had on that uh, on that ad that they had on that bus reuniting you with your better half perfect uh for what we're mm. dealing with here in uh in moon night so who knew the GRC was going to be so on point thematically uh with what we're dealing with here in uh, in moon night but uh once moon night emerges uh moon night follows Layla's instructions to lead the jackal away and we get this awesome rooftop chase there's parkour Ooh. there's oh the disney plus logo shot there is, uh, I mean, there, <laughs> we get the little crescent moon weapons uh, from Moon Knight, and it all ends, That was amazing. Yeah, it all ends Holy with crap. an impalement, uh, but also like running across the bridge with the reflection in the water. So many great shots uh, in that sequence. But yeah, ending with Moon Knight being able to uh, impale the jackal before the suit goes away, and it's just Mark Spector again. Um, it was brief, but it really, really worked, and, and it was cool as hell to see Moon Knight. And certainly... Um, exponentially more Moon Knight than we got last week. I know it still wasn't a ton of this costume, but a lot more than just the the final shot that we got last week. Hey, you know, one thing I, I, I will definitely, even though I would love Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, Moon Knight, whatever, give it to me the whole episode. The one thing that I'll always go back to, and, I, and I, even though I hate to say it, but I'm just going to say it right here, less is more. Because, you know, if you think about like some of my favorite movies of all time, like Ghostbusters, right? What do we all remember, remember from Ghostbusters was the proton packs. Well, how often do they use them? Not very much. There's like the screen time of, of, of like the actual stream, you know, the proton packs being used is very minimal. And I feel like a little goes a long way. And, and even though I want to see Moon Knight all the time and that would be awesome. It, it was it was this was a great. I love this episode. Barna, yeah. I think this is a phenomenal episode. And I think it's the reason it is because it was such a build up to that with Conchu mm-hmm. and the build up with, you know, with Har- Haro. I said, I said his name right for once for those who are, are getting really irritated well, with Haro. Haro, yeah. I get it. I'm sorry. Um, no, is it? Is Haro, see, you got me oh, messed God. up now. Haro, is it Haro? It's Haro. Oh. Oh, okay, Haro. 
Arthur Harrow. Thank you. Um, but with all that being said, I think that when he actually does show up as the traditional version of Moon Knight that we're all used to, it is so impactful. Um, and again, I know it's kind of done a little bit in the end of the first episode, but to me, to actually get to see it in full-blown action just shows you how just deadly this character is. And I, and again, some of the liberties they take in this um, version of the character, specifically with the with the uh, the weapons. Um, oh my God, that is that's goddamn genius. That's <laughs> goddamn genius, man. <laughs> that is just, whoo! I, I, because again, I, I avoid all that stuff. On, I'm not sure if that was in the trailer. I avoid that stuff. When I saw that, Sean, I went, hot damn. Yeah. I'm like, where, where is that in the comics? Let's put that in right now, because that is goddamn brilliant. Oh my God. So, um, yeah, that was just phenomenal. That, that to me, that, with Mr. Knight, and then you have this at the very end, you know, before he turns back into Mark Spector, Sean, this to me showed you how great this character can be and how mm. much he translates so well to screen. And I'm just sitting here like, man, we're, I, I, we need to see this character all the time. Like this is such a great character. So we, with all the build up between Steven and Mark and everything, and now we get two different versions of Moon Knight. It's like, I'm in man. Like I, I am so ready for this next episode. I think the series, like after the first episode being kind of, eh, I, I just, I will kind of, maybe we'll talk about it at the end, but I wish they would have put these two episodes together. It just it would have flowed so much better. Um, right. as maybe it's a little short film, if you will. Um, but yeah, I well, I don't think they needed to stitch them together, but this is kind of what I was talking about last week where they could have done a right. two episode premiere. They could have dropped both of these episodes last week, and I, I think it does a lot for it because it gives you you get more moon night that way, which is great. You get Mr. Knight. Yes. Um, and also I think it really helps to be able to to be able to plant your feet a little bit in the mythology of this. And, and this episode actually explains mm -hmm. some of that mythology, not in a way where it's permanently defined for your full understanding of what may happen in this series, but it at least gives you some sense uh, of where you're at and what you're dealing with as a foundation that then they can play with and, and build up, build upon and question or whatever they want to do as the series goes on. So I definitely felt like this would have been a great episode to drop along with uh, the first one last week. But I don't really know if it's cost them anything because I I don't have any, but not that I'm looking at a lot of social media reactions or anything for Moon Knight, but I haven't really seen people say, well, I sure. only watched the first episode and I quit. You know, I only watched the first one and I'm not tuning in anymore. I think most of the people, if not all of them who would tune in for the first one are probably going to uh, give the second one a shot. And I think if they do they'll find a lot to like because this is, uh, I, I agree with you, this is a really great episode. You know, early early contender for, you know, the MCU Fan Awards for episode of the year. Summon the suit uh, for Moon Knight. This one was was really great. Although, you know, we've still got some other great stuff to talk about from, uh, from the episode. Like, I, I thought this was awesome where we see the dynamic uh, flip. I mean, we do see that, uh, you know, the the scarab that Mr. Knight pocketed, it uh, it fell out and Harrow is, is able to get it. But, uh then it's the role reversal where now Steven is the man in the mirror and Mark is explaining that uh, as Steven is questioning Mark's affection for Layla, he's explaining like, I'm trying to keep her away because Kanchu actually has his eye on her to be his next avatar. And Mark doesn't want that life for Layla because obviously he, he cares about her. And that's why he's been trying to keep her away from everything. And, and Mark doesn't even know how long he's been the avatar for Kanchu. Like, has it been the whole time that we've been having and celebrating these MCU heroes or has it been a more recent thing? 
Um, I, it doesn't seem like it's been quite that long, but um, it's it's long enough for Mark to have forgotten how long exactly it's been. Um, but also, we see that things have changed. Like, Stephen Grant isn't necessarily a new thing as far as Mark Spector is concerned. It seems like he's already been aware that there's this other identity of Stephen Grant. But as he said, there's been a wall between them. Like these things, they used to be able to have their lives and it would be fine. But now something has changed and Mark Spector doesn't know what. And Stephen runs down his troubles and, and everything that Mark has cost him from Stephen's perspective. But then Mark says that, look, all of this that's happening right now, it only gets to happen because of this whole Moon Knight thing. They wouldn't be alive if it were not for Khonshu. And I, I like this whole thing of kind of summarizing vaguely some of the history of what's going on here. It did a great job of running down the stakes for each of these characters. Like now we know there's a, a personal investment for Mark that he's got to, there's some promise that he's not fulfilling because he hasn't been able to keep this uh, Stephen Grant identity at bay. And he never thought that was going to be a problem because that was always easy before. Now it's not. And making matters even more complicated is if that, if Mark screws up or he doesn't help Kanchu accomplish some final mission that Harrow has already said may not ultimately be final, then Kanchu is going to choose Layla as his avatar. And we can certainly see why this may not be a life that somebody would want for another person that they love. And so being able to shift the status quo, run down the stakes from each of their perspectives, Mark and Stevens and Kanchu, um, all culminating with as... Steven is kind of uh, just going after Mark, saying he's not going to give him a moment's rest, and Mark just losing it and stomping on uh, that reflection to try and stomp Steven out, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, all of that was great, and there's plenty of great stuff that come that happens in the the last conversation between Mark and Conchu. But that whole rundown of of their uh, of their perspective, their warring perspectives and stakes, I, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, this was a very revealing conversation. The whole idea of Layla being uh, so his eye on it. And again, this is where I'm starting to kind of really question what's going on exactly. Um, is Kanchu even being truthful when he says that, to be honest? I'm doubting it. Like I, I really am. I think there's there's manipulation going on here. Um, beyond the, at least to me, and maybe I'm totally off, and that's exactly you know, verbatim what's gonna, what's what's what Conchu's motivation is, or that's his, maybe his eye on Layla completely. Something doesn't seem right there. I'm like, mm, yeah, not, something or maybe it's off. just and, and, and this again, is how I motivate Mark, or for if it's all, yeah, if this exactly. is all in Mark's head, this is how I motivate myself as I convince myself it's for someone else. Exactly. So th again, that's why I go back to it, it reinforces my doubt of Layla. This kind of enhances it even more. Um, and again, I could be way off. That's what it, it, it speaks to me. And with the fact that Conchu's saying that, that's exactly what I got from it was he's either manipulating Mark through saying, yeah, I've got my eye on Layla, so you better do what I want. <laughs> wink, wink, you know, kind of a thing. And so, but again, I like that because even though it's ne necessarily something I've, I've read in the comics with Conchu that we later on I would read, but it's again it's spiritually there. You know, again, no pun intended, because Conchu is always pushing Mark, or is, is it Conchu again? Um, right. Is is that really Conchu? If it is Conchu, that makes it, it add, that's totally in line with what happened in the comics of like you don't again. It adds that self doubt of 
is Kanchu real? Is he not real? What is going on here? Is it all on Mark's head? Because you, like you said, Sean, is is it Mark using that as self motivation? You know, it's fascinating. This is where, to me, the I think the crux of what makes Moon Knight so interesting. They're bringing out a different side of it. It's still so much a part of that world that I love what they're doing here because it is still brings up the same themes and questions that I love about Moon Knight right now, which is. Is it all in your head? What is in your head? And also the power of your mind. I mean, like in a very real world, like serious kind of sense here, it shows you just really to me and reminds me that how powerful the, the human mind really is. I mean, like I think of anxiety attacks and power, you know, panic attacks and things like that. Things that I've struggled with my, myself, you know, to be quite honest, you know, it were to a point where in, in my twenties, I, you know, you know me, I'm a very, I'm an extrovert. Like I am a people person and I couldn't leave the house, Sean. And it, what I'm saying is it's fascinating to see just and be reminded of how powerful the mind is. And I think that like, that's why I think I have always gravitated towards the character is because I've had issues with like, you know, your mind taking over. It feels like it sometimes where you're like, it, it's to a, to, a, I think an unhealthy degree. And you're like, it makes you, you know, less of, or, or you know, not who you are. And I think what's fascinating about Moon Knight is that he represents that idea of like how the mind is so powerful and how can you know it can play tricks on you and also develop into these things that could be somewhat harmful or you know or something where it leads you down a different road where you you shouldn't go and I love all that and I think I identify with that in some ways and I think it's really interesting that that they're even though I think I feel like they've done a good job of balancing where it's we know it's real but there's enough doubt there that they're putting into the show that makes me really like yes it's exactly it's exactly why I like the character so this is a great scene I thought that embodied that because even though Conchu is saying things like break his windpipe and things like that the conversation at the end between Mark and Conchu and he's like you know, where are we going? Where do you hell do you think? And it's yeah. just like, man, it's exactly, it feels well, it's like it's such an interesting conversation because Khonshu goes back and forth from being mean to nice to mean again, because yes. there's the yes. moment, like it starts off with Khonshu being just, just straight up devalues Mark at when he says, you think you own this body? It belongs to me. Like he even said that like, you were a corpse when I found mm -hmm. you or something like that. So it's like you belong to me or this body that you're in right now, it all belongs to me. But then he tries to, Kanchu is a little more, well, not a little more, he's a, he's a lot nicer about it. Because then moments later, he's telling Mark, <laughs> you're worth protecting. And, and also, um, you enjoy the work that I have for you, which you know, maybe is Kanchu gaslighting Mark or Mark gaslighting himself. I don't know. But he said, you're worth protecting. We need each other to make it seem like it's this symbiotic relationship it's it's a mutual relationship it's it, they're they're both being reciprocated in terms of their needs being met by the, the nature of, of what they're doing here and there's a part of mark who was already doing stuff like this anyway perhaps or this kind of work because mark got these skills from somewhere and so there's a lot of that that's going on but then as you said it starts out very harsh and then it becomes a little more gentle and then it's kind of harsh again, like, oh, what's our next move? Or where are we going now? Like, where the hell do you think? And I, I think that, and also a threat, right? When he says that, mm -hmm. um, you know, should we depart, you may not like my next candidate near and dear as she is to you. So it, it is this back and forth of very mean, not not as mean, a little bit nice to just downright mean and, and threatening again on the part of Kanshu. And it's very interesting to question exactly 
what that is. Is this just Khonshu? Is this a way of Mark kind of torturing himself? Is What exactly is the nature of, uh, of what's going on here? But certainly, I, I think it feeds into, if you take Khonshu at face value, and you say that this in, indeed is a moon god who really has chosen Mark as his avatar, and this is where, where Mark is at right now, this feeds into what uh, Dr. Arthur Harrell was talking about earlier in the episode when he's saying, because he was calling this out, right? He's always going to tell you mm-hmm. it's your last mission. And with him making that threat, it already points to this idea of Kanchu already kind of betraying Mark and, and going back on whatever agreement that they have that this is your last mission. They're all your last mission, unless, of course, you decide to take another one because as soon as, soon as you decide to go ahead and let it be your last, you know where I'm going next. So the only way that Mark is going to agree to it being his last mission is if Khonshu pledges to not choose Layla as his next avatar, and that gives uh, allows Mark to feel like he is not an entirely willing participant. He has to do this, um, which might be the way he can rationalize and justify whatever it is that he's doing, which includes some violent things uh, when he is uh, when he is Moon Knight, the kinds of things, as he says, you know, that, that have me, you know, that get blood on my hands. So uh, that conversation between Kanchu and, and uh, Mark Spector definitely goes into the very complex, uneasy relationship and alliance that these uh, that these characters or identities or however you see them uh, that they have with one another. Uh, and I thought that was just a great way to uh, to pretty much end the episode, it, it ends with um, the the very last shot as we see uh, Oscar Isaac or Mark Spector. Now Stephen Grant, still the man in the mirror inside this hotel room, but really it's just a sweaty Oscar Isaac in his underoos drinking straight from the bottle, which just isn't fair to the rest of us, is it? But oh well. Um, so it is uh, that handsome guy being super handsome at uh, the very end of the episode. But uh, Paul, I thought this one was awesome, and uh, the directors of this episode, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. They've already been hired. I think I know they did more episodes of this series, uh, but they are also the ones who are going to be directing the second season of Loki. So mm. I'm, I'm very excited about what they did in this episode, what they will still have in uh, in Moon Knight. And I'm also looking forward to the rest of the episodes of Moon Knight that they didn't necessarily direct, but uh, really, really pumped up for uh, for season two of Loki now, just based on the strength of, uh, of this episode. But yeah, um, when I got to screen the first four episodes... This was my favorite. That's not to take anything away from the next two that are coming up. They're both uh, exciting, and I'm looking forward to watching them again and uh, reviewing them in full spoilery detail as we did so here. Um, but this one is definitely uh, a standout for uh, a lot of re- a lot of really great reasons, which hopefully we've done an adequate job of highlighting here. I think we have, but yeah, I I, I definitely. I love this episode. I thought it was really, really well done. I thought it was well paced. Um, I, again, bringing up the idea of, of less is more, even though I love Moon Knight pretty much in costume the entire episode, I thought this was a, a great job of pacing and, and really paying off both reveals of the costumes um, and them in action. And and, th- and delivering lots of emotional depth, a lot of, and a lot of I think, uh, just misdirection. And and you, you're really uh, putting into question everything, and it all not only does it go in the writing of, of the episode, but again the way the again go back to the direction of the episode, a way way people are placed and and you know and angles and things like that, and that's why I love comics and it's why I love you know in, in, in again film and things like that where it's 
those things all take are you take into account when you're when you're watching this and, and you add to the you know the drama you know the angles and the different you know things that these there's you don't you subconsciously sometimes forget when you're watching these things like you know and i love that idea um i thought this was a really honestly one of the better probably i think tv overall tv episodes of just an all around experience you know i think there's been maybe better episodes where you're talking about just you know from you know maybe like a pure standpoint like the last the end of, uh, season finale of loki you know more specific like episodes where it's like you know you're, you're paying off like a whole season things like that but you're yeah. talking about an all in all action drama you know humor right like, basically what i'm what i'm describing is a, a marvel film and this was a 45 minute in condensed marvel film i felt like that's you know a traditional marvel film as far as like delivering all those aspects that i love and that i think the mcu has done a phenomenal job of this has everything and i thought like and again i just think this it was really well done and I, I i'm really excited those guys are doing the the loki season two so it makes me really confident to be honest with and so about Loki now. So, and they have more Moon Knight. So yeah, I, I'm in, man. Like I think Moon Knight. Even I, I like that first episode, but now after watching the second, I'm I'm ready for whatever they give me next. And, I, and I'm really, I know they haven't really announced or really set with with Oscar Isaac what happens after this. But I mean, barring it's going to be in the same vein of what we've gotten in these first two episodes, Sean. I I think Moon Knight's going to be a huge hit. And I think that I cannot wait to see what they do with the character afterwards. And I can't wait to see what we get next, this next episode, episode three. So that's half, you know, we just have all these episodes left. Give me more. I can't wait. I know. Right. Well, I, I know what's going to happen in the next episode, but I am looking forward to watching it again. And this one, summon the suit. I agree with you. Um, my favorite. And I, I do think that it, it's not when we think about best episodes of, of last year and, and everything, this is one of the best episodes in its own way, right? And yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily do the same things that, you know, the best episode of maybe Loki did or WandaVision or, or whatever, but that's fine. Like they're, they're not, it's, it doesn't have to be like the other best episodes of a given series to, you know, end up being one of the best episodes we get all year. And, and I mean, I don't know. There are still more episodes of Moon Knight that I haven't seen, and we'll see how those measure up to this one. But this is certainly one that I could see keeping an eye on and going back to and revisiting uh, throughout the year. And and while it may not necessarily have the massive reveals or emotional high points of some of our favorites from last year, it does still have, I think, some some good emotional moments. It's got mm -hmm. some great uh, philosophical debates, which I'm a big fan of, and it does a good job of world building, of character development, all of these types of things, of, of moving things forward, while also just being very, very exciting and fun. So it's a very well-balanced episode of a Disney Plus series, and, and specifically for uh, Moon Knight and where this is at. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I felt and have continued to feel like maybe this could have been a two-episode premiere. It's not so much about the first episode not being enough as much as it is about this episode being so strong but I'm pretty sure everybody who watched last week stuck it out, uh, and they were dead, like you, uh, who were uh, needed a little bit of patience, and they their patience was rewarded uh, with a fantastic installment in this episode of Moon Knight. That is where we will wrap up this spoiler review for Summon the Suit. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, and then make sure you check out Fanshow Plus for additional MCU talk. That's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Or you can search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe there. Follow us where you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? 
can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please go to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Subscribe, watch the videos, like them, because they all help out. And uh, I've got a really cool Moon Knight video if you ha- didn't know about it. I'll probably be talking about Moon Knight a lot. This Tuesday, we're going to be talking about uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, where the story could go after this with the with my now i call it now infamous because it's gonna be the spider-man council with many of my uh, friends who are in spider-man podcast we're all gonna go around the horn and talk about you know using the comics as springboards of where the story could go so i'm really excited to do that that's gonna be every well, every tuesday we'll do a show a live stream so this tuesday 7:45 p.m ish check us out live stream we'll have a lot of fun i'll answer comments on the air so yeah check us out there And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. Laters, Gators.